I'm Simi Abdullah, and I'd like to welcome you to Trillium Montessori Talks, the podcast where we dig into the theory and application of Montessori methodology in the classroom and beyond. This podcast is produced in cooperation with Letty Rising and other Trillium course creators. Our goal is to provide you with a weekly dose of tips, tools, and inspiration so you can optimize the classroom experience for your students and yourself. Ready? Let's talk Montessori. Welcome to Montessori Talks, where we talk about all things related to the Montessori elementary environment and other things related to Montessori as well. And today I have a guest. This is Lisa Favette, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, and then we are going to launch into some fun games, activities, and questions, and all that good stuff. So Lisa started her career actually a long time ago in human resources at global customer care centers in Bangkok and Buenos Aires and all over the place. And then she went to pursue her master's in education. She got her AMI elementary diploma. And then she later joined a school in Brussels where she taught and became a head of school and was there for, I guess, maybe 10 years or so. And then she teen, yeah. 15. Okay. Over a decade, 15. (laughs) And then she found a love for improvisational theater and performed across many international locations. And currently she is based in the U.S. and she applies her broad expertise through training, consulting, speaking, and professional development workshops for educators and leaders And today she's going to talk about bringing joy and levity to Montessori spaces. And so before I ask her a bunch of questions, um, I wanted to ask you, Lisa, if you could maybe be a little bit specific about um, what is this whole idea and concept of joy and levity? I would be happy to talk about that. Thank you, Laddie. It's so nice to be a part of this great podcast. I'm so happy to be part of this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this idea of joy and levity, you know, I think, um, you know, we're working with children and um, just being with children, of course, there's a lot of joy and levity with that. But we also are Montessorians. And I have to say that Montessorians are not necessarily known for their humor. And, you know, we are very funny, but it's not what we're known for. Yeah. So. Uh, part of my idea is just to talk about giving permission that this is part of really important part of our work. Levity being this idea of bringing buoyancy to a situation. Levity has a lot to do with with playfulness. Again, this word play isn't always associated with Montessori. And of course, we're not playing with toys. We are working with materials. But we also have playfulness in our attitude. We have playfulness in our culture. And that is really an important part of us being human. I mean, if you think about all the species in the world, animals can, some animals can be playful, but humans are really playful. And it's something that's part of our makeup and something that we should really harness and nurture and again, give permission that we can be playful in our environments with our students, uh, with our colleagues, with our parents that we're working with. Uh, Everybody appreciates it. And also, again, it's not this, oh, because it's nice. It actually, if we look at the brain science, it is how we build trust, how we build resilience, how we learn and move forward. And of course, build relationships. 
I, you know, what you're talking about makes me think of a little something here in that I think that sometimes people are afraid of the whole joy and levity idea or play because it can be associated with like going out of control or things going crazy and things like that. But playfulness doesn't have to be that way. And there's lots of like lightheartedness that we can infuse in all parts of our day in many ways. And I think you're here to tell us a little bit about that today. Yes. You know, when I talk to groups, that's one of my first questions I ask is why do we hesitate from you um, being using humor and laughter and play in our work? And that is the first thing that comes up is, oh, it might get out of control or it's inappropriate or this or that. And just like anything we do within our Montessori environments, we don't necessarily say, okay, then therefore we're not going to do it. We actually say, all right, let's do it and let's model and show how do we have humor and laughter and play in our environments, but having it in an appropriate way, having it in a way that's inclusive, having it in a way that is scoped and, you know, has a way that doesn't go out of boundary, but we can keep it um, framed. Oh, absolutely. So that leads me into a question that I have for you is, can you share a moment or a story where you saw a clear link between joy and levity and student learning in one of your classroom environments, or maybe when you were ahead of school, you noticed it? Can you, do you have any stories that you can think of? Yeah, you know, I know, and just to start, really, you know, play and levity should be with us every day, all day. It's again, it's a disposition or an attitude. Yeah, um, we're not compartmentalizing then, it into like just a little section of our day. Yeah, now, now's our time to play. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I, I also to know to point out, you know, this idea of joy and levity as a child gets older, it's this overt showing of the joy and levity. Like as they get older, we see less and less of it. We see a little bit more of a distance and that's more, sometimes the child gives us distance. So then we might, all right, they want distance and they may, but I think our playfulness should continue to abound because they actually are very, still very playful in those upper elementary environments. But something that is really inherent in our elementary is, of course, variety. And a key part of play and joy is variety because the theory behind humor is this idea that our brain is really good at finding patterns. So, and that was part of survival, right? So we would if we were out in the wild and we saw, you know, this vast expanse in a jungle and we'd see there's a tree and a tree and a tree and a tiger and a tree. Wait, there's that tiger, right? So our brain is programmed to find interruptions of patterns. And when we see that interruption, our brain very quickly decides, is this dangerous? And I need to take action immediately without thinking or, oh, it's okay. You know, the tiger is now going away from me. And this release, <laughs> yeah, it's sleeping. And this release is is actually laughter. And so, um, when we talk about, and we know this, right? In three to six environments, it's repetition through doing, and elementary, it's repetition through variety. So, our foundation in elementary is variety, and this incites a lot of playfulness. Now, specifically on this, some areas that I have identified is whenever something is what I call same old, same old. We have routines and routines are important. We need to keep our routines. But in elementary, we have this license to break up routines because that is an opportunity for some joy and levity. So an example of that is 
you know, we we have, let's say people have a circle at the end of, say, the end of the morning or the end of the day, or maybe it's on Mondays. And that routine is really important because, of course, the students, that gives them opportunity to lead lead a circle time because that is established. But every once in a while, if maybe you sing at the end of your circle, maybe you sing at the beginning of your circle and you tell them, we're at, hey, would you guys want to do circle backwards today? What do we normally end with? Oh, we sing a song. Why don't we sing at the beginning? All right, here we go. Let's sing. And da, 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 da. and they would really get a kick out of this, that you would put that circle time mm-hmm. on its head. Mm-hmm. And you're not doing it all the time. And this is a good example of modeling. How do we do this appropriately? We've done this once. And the reason why this is fun is because we've done this this one time and having discussions. If we did this every day and if we change the order every day, would that work? Oh, no, that wouldn't work. But the reason why it's fun is because it is something um, different than what we're used to. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one example. I've got lots of examples. Um, you know, we've got our same old, same old, look at your routine, see how you can mix them up. Another example is agreed annoyance. I'm sure in our classrooms, there are many things that we can all say as, ah, oh, as a community, like, oh, that's annoying. I mean, the famous one, of course, is losing pencils, right? Oh, the pencils. <laughs> You talk to any Montessori teacher, right? Actually, any teacher in the world, losing of pencils, right? So what are fun ways we can acknowledge this is an agreed annoyance? And what are fun, playful ways we can solve this problem? And there's one exercise that I do is adults or students. And again, the older the elementary students, the more that, that this can be really playful and productive is this idea of bad brainstorming. (laughs) <laughs> and a bad idea brainstorming. So if brainstorming is something that you've already established in your class, you can say, we're going to do bad idea brainstorming. And what it is, is we're going to throw out the worst ideas to solve this agreed annoyance. What's so annoying? Oh, our pencils keep getting lost. What would be a really bad idea to solve that problem? Oh, let's you know, let's uh, glue the pencils to our hands or, you know, these are really bad (laughs) ideas, but you take, you generate a list, you have fun with it. And then you can say, is there one idea that actually might be linked to an actually a a real idea and children um, and adults too, if you do this as a team, as colleagues, they have a lot of fun coming up with this list of really bad ideas and (laughs) then finding one that could be an actual solution. And instead of like sitting in a circle and I've done this, hey, this is a problem. You know, this needs to be solved. And you know what? I, this is the solution, right? Kind of worst case scenario is you're, you're, you're kind of coming down hard and heavy. And then I've come up with a solution as a leader. And of course, we need to do that every once in a while. But finding these opportunities, hey, this one I'm going to take time with and I'm going to really have some playfulness to model playfulness in ways that are productive too. Oh, that sounds so much fun. It's like, I'm already getting excited just listening to you talking about these ideas. Like, oh, it sounds like bad brainstorming. I love it. You've sort of already touched on this a little bit while we've been talking, but maybe you can expand upon it a little. How can play be incorporated into the school environment, particularly for elementary students to enhance their learning experience? Yeah, you know, within our within our albums, we have playful type 
of activities, right? And I think we know our albums are just like the foundation and we have so much we extrapolate from there. So I would say take the spirit of, you know, the the one we all love, you know, in our language and our parts of speech, you know, this idea of, you know, go find and go, you know, I need, oh, I need brown cow, you know, that we've misled them on purpose. Yes. Those types of things. Get me the pencil. No, not that one. Not that one. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. I meant the red pencil. Yes. It's a, and it's a very playful exercise on the adjective, the descriptive word. Oh, it was missing. And I think we can find those opportunities because in elementary, which is really, you know, when I was learning about Montessori and trying to decide which age group I would most work well with, that was, I talked to somebody and they said, oh, elementary, you need such a sense of humor because that's what entices these children. I'm like, I think that's my age group. So just always keeping that in the front of your mind. You know, and you know, specifically something that we put into place. And, and as you mentioned, I have a background in comedic improvisation. You can think about charades. We all know charades. Um, we had in place the students, and this was uh, like first and second years of elementary they would write, they had slips of paper and they would write down one student in particular. I gave him five slips of paper. And for the first two, we wrote together animal names. So he wrote a beaver and a cow and a dog. And then, you know, he finished the rest. And then we folded the slips of paper and we put it in a basket and we played improvised charades. So he would pull it out and he wasn't a fluent reader, but he had written it. So we, of course, know children can read what they've written. He read it. And that beaver, even though that first one I wrote for him, but that was his word saw beaver and he acted out beaver and then I guessed it and I said all right now you can go to a friend and you can do your animal charades box and so that was something that was really playful and of course the students really loved it more children added to that box we had a whole big box with lots of slips of paper or children could have their own box if they're needing to read their own words so it all can be you know a variety from there Oh, that sounds like so much fun. And that leads me to another question I have, which, you know, you've already shared some of these, but it's always great to have even more. Could you share some examples of improv games that could be used in the classroom setting to facilitate student learning? And I know you've already mentioned a couple, but do you have a few more you want to share? Yeah, and um, we can play some of these too, Letty. Let's do it. (laughs) People are going to use their imagining minds since this is a podcast and they're just listening. So they're going to put their powers of imagination into effect. Yes, put that imagination into to work here. And I think I have a couple that can work nicely just through audio. Now, this one is with storytelling. You might want to do this if you do this with a whole group. You could, or you could do it with a smaller group. So group storytelling. This game is called Fortunately and Unfortunately. And I actually learned this from, uh, not from my improv, but I learned it from a Montessori teacher. And I wish I could remember, but it was at a conference. And it, I've, it's a keeper and students really love it. So how this works is we will come up with a title of a story that doesn't exist, right? We'll come up with that title and then we will tell a story based on that title. And alternatively, I'll say one line of the story and then you'll you'll start your line with unfortunately and then say more of the story. And it'll come back to me and I'll say fortunately 
and I'll say something else in the story and you'll say, unfortunately. So we go back and forth between fortunately and unfortunately. Oh, uh, let's, fun. Just, <laughs> let's just give it a little, little trial. So let's start with a title of a story that doesn't exist. Okay. How about the grumpy spider? The grumpy spider. All right. Perfect. Although I wonder if there is a title called the grumpy spider. <laughs> it might already very, exist. There's a very busy spider, but uh, let's just say the grumpy <laughs> spider. Okay. Fortunately, Simon the spider woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You say, fortunately. Fortunately, he was able to hit the snooze button on his alarm and sleep just a little bit longer. Unfortunately, one of his eight legs missed that snooze button and it just kept blaring in his ear over and over and over, making him more grumpy. Fortunately, his mom came in and heard the blaring and decided to turn off the alarm in such a way that it didn't keep blaring anymore. Unfortunately, as he got out of bed, he tumbled to the ground and he hurt two of his eight legs. <laughs> Fortunately, he had six more legs that he could use to walk on. So he just taped the two hurt ones to two legs that were doing well, like in, and made them into like splints and was able to carry on. <laughs> That is it. That is our story, Letty, right there. You can see if you're going around a circle or you can hear how this would be really fun for students. It's really framed that one line. Some students like to go on and on, so we need to help them one line. We can also talk about one sentence. So some of those conversations, um, you know, holding on to that protagonist, you know, those are some of the things that we can bring. And this idea that stories have conflict, there's a problem, but, you know, we want to find the ways we can weave in problems and solutions. So it's a really fun one. Do you have like maybe one more that we could do? Yes, I have another one. I have one that we can play. Our listeners can hear it. I also have some that I can describe that we can we can talk about later. Oh. But this one is for us to do as an audio. It's again, it's a storytelling. And it's called One Word at a Time. And how this works is we're going to tell a story, again, based on some title we make up. And we're going to tell the story one word at a time, which means I give one word, then you give the next word and then I give the next word. So we really can't plan that well. And I'll tell you, these <laughs> stories are weird and funky and they don't always make sense. But well, let's just go through it, see where we land with this. Um, and, and something I do with the students, I do say, we can start the story with once upon a time and we can end with the moral of the story is. All right, so we do once upon a time, just get us started. Uh-huh. And then, when we hear the moral of the story is we know we're wrapping it up. Okay. Okay. So we need to start with a title of a story that doesn't exist. You gave the last one. I can give this one. How about, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll do an animal too. The monkey with two tails. <laughs> the monkey with two tails. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay. Here we go. Yes. Once. Upon. A. Time there was a 
cheeky monkey with two tails. Period. Your turn. Oh, 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 you okay, the period's for you. Okay, no. Okay. She could leap far into the sky because she loved leaping <laughs> high period yeah like period end of the period. sentence maybe yeah 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 the moral of the story is always have two <laughs> tails Yay! <laughs> 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 Woo! So it's, now it's we're just really doing it short for the for this purpose, but I think we could really get deep into it. That's just a little taste of it. Yeah, exactly. We made it nice and short, but I'll tell you, the morals of the story are usually that brilliant. You know, the the, the idea isn't making like we've made a genius story. It's this cooperation, and and you could probably feel it, like. I had some ideas where, oh, I think we're going to go this way. And I give my one word. But of course, you have to now interpret and try to make it make sense. And and the story goes another way. So it's a little bit of giving up control. And yes. um, also, you know, I didn't tell you beforehand, one of the words could be period to indicate the end of a sentence. So those that are working on sentences, you could do just, you know, one word at a time sentences. Where does the period go? So there's the period. So and you're right about giving up the control because you know when we're doing the story, I start imagining or having a vision of how I think it's going to go. And then all of a sudden you share a word and it goes somewhere else completely differently. I could see the kids really having fun with that. Yeah. And you know it's funny, sometimes, sometimes it's exactly how it went, where we had put some thought and we come up with her. Sometimes they have so little abandon, they actually can go fast because they're just, they're not looking for that perfect word or like really making sense. So it's, they have a different rhythm to this, obviously. (laughs) Oh, so much fun. Um, Well, so I wonder if you want to switch over for a little bit and talk about adults and joy and levity. And how do you maintain a sense of joy and resilience among adults in your community, especially during challenging times? Yeah, we've been facing some challenging times lately. So we've been able to put this to the test. Yeah, I think, as I said before, that joy and levity and laughter isn't something nice when things are going well. It's actually really needed when things are rough, because that's really when our relationships and our connection is really tested in our trust. So when we, every time we share laughter, we actually make a little deposit in the trust bank, right? Like I've had all these laughs with Letty and now something kind of goes goofy and off. We're okay because we know each other. We've shared these times together. And, and so I think we can think of it that way, that as a leader and as somebody working with the community, as we sh- 
leave a note on somebody's desk or, you know, where their coat hook is just to help they smile a little bit. That's nice. It's beautiful. It, it always gives back to yourself and it also helps us build our community. Now, I do have some areas that I look at specifically when I'm building culture. And, and the first, and this comes directly from improv, is this idea of failing with flair. And I use that failure, you know, in air quotes, because really we're not failing. But when things aren't going the way we expected, if we have an attitude of doing this with flair or doing with this like a plume or doing it this with like, oh my gosh, that's so funny that happened. And look at, I survived and everything's okay. That is the start of having a community and culture of levity uh, within your school community. We've touched on play as a second one that this idea of play isn't silly and goofy and not serious. And now you're not academic and now you're not a serious educator at all. It is part of our jobs to be playful and bring joy. And it's also being present. A lot of joy and levity is through observation. Somebody said something that was like peculiar, how they worded it, or there's a turn of phrase, or they've got a funny saying on their shirt, or but it's being present and being there And we have that within our work. We talk a lot about mindfulness and being present and looking that sometimes we think of mindfulness as like sitting in Lotus and, you know, saying "Om" to ourselves, And that is a way to get centered, but there's also being present and with another person and looking out for ways that we can connect that are fun and playful. I think we've all been part of a situation where it's a conversation is tense and then something happens. Like I've been with a, a parent conversation where it was tense and then this grasshopper came through, uh, like the, the came through the window somehow and landed in the middle of the table. And we were all able to focus on this grasshopper, like, how'd you get here? And it just released the pressure. And we did go back to our conversation, but for that moment, we were able to breathe just for a moment. And then the other thing that we talk about a lot in general, Montessori, but it really applies as well, is gratitude is if we have a disposition of gratitude, that brings lightness to our our being and um, we're able to find levitous moments more easily. Oh my goodness. You know, what you're talking about makes me think a lot about when somebody is a new teacher or a new administrator, I think that there's such a worry about getting it right and doing everything well that it's easy to sort of overlook joy and levity because, you know, there's just this focus on, you know, I need to get this right. I need to do this well. I need to prove myself. I, you know, all of those things. And it could be easy to sort of overlook, but I think that bringing those sort of joyful, playful moments in as a new teacher or a new administrator is going to actually pay off in spades because of the trust building and, you know, just feeling at ease, you know, because children, particularly if I'm thinking of teachers, don't want to be thought of as like, you know, oh, that, um, you know, we have an agenda that we're trying to get them to learn things and we're getting through our lessons, but stopping and having those moments that are not intentional and they're very, you know, just kind of free flowing and playful, I think is, you know, brings a lot of relief to people. I I really like that point. I'm working with new teachers. I do coaching with elementary schools and it's usually with new teachers. And it is something to point out is like, wow, look at your planning. Amazing. 
But as a human, you are going to want to put some space in there (laughs) because this is too much. Your joy and levity is just going to be squashed. You have to make sure you're having that and allowing the space. And we're all human. We are, you know, no one needs to take a class on how to be funny. Again, my role is just to give you permission to do it because all of us are funny because we're human. That is part of our makeup. So let that come out more is the idea. Absolutely. Well, that really leads me into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, uh, it seems that you've successfully merged your personal passion for improv with your professional life as a Montessori educator. And so can you tell me more about this journey and what inspired you to blend these areas together and how this has impacted your level of contentment in both areas? I know that's a mouthful. I think I, think I got, got it out. Oh, this is one of my passions is this idea of pursuing passions. And I know it is for you too, Letty. So, you know, I think as we all go through our journey, you know, through our life journey, through our career journey, at some point, it's different for everybody. We kind of stop and say, wow, you know, what is my unique gift? And I had that point where I was like, what's my unique gift to Montessori? What's my unique gift to this world? And that is, of course, the question that we have in our cosmic education is what is our gift? What is our cosmic mission? And I, and the, this idea of us, first of all, having that reflection and finding it is not only brings us more contentment, but this is how we can model this to our students as well, right? We want people, we are building in our work with our students, we're trying to bring to their fullest potential. And how can we do that if we're not reaching our fullest potential? And so I think this all starts out with the, first of all, the why, why do we, is this important? Because we all, we all need to work towards our fullest potential. And that's fundamental to us us as Montessorians. And then that really hard question is then what, what is our gift, right? Now, for me, I knew I loved to like have people laugh, be around people that are funny and be somebody that brought humor to situations. And, but that is a head scratcher. How, how do I do that professionally? I guess that's always going to be a side gig. And so I did that for many years. I was a Montessori head of school during the day. And at night I was an improviser, a comedic improviser. <laughs> and many years it was separate. I didn't also didn't want to tell people because I'm like, I don't want them to come to the shows because gosh, I, they can't see their head of school saying these things or doing these things. So I was very much dividing it. And I did make a big change. I left, um, I was living in Belgium for those 15 years and I came to the States and I really, this idea of a bit, uh, not people don't know me in the Montessori world in the States as much. And I'm like, I think I'm going to try to merge these two and, and let me see what happens. And so this idea of the improv and the Montessori was born. So I was lucky I was able to find that, but for advice for those who are looking for that, I know for me, a a lot of self-reflection, but also talk to others, talk to others. Like, what do you see as my, my gifts? What do you enjoy about me as a colleague, as a teacher, um, as a person? That is such a good idea, Lisa, because, you know, we can, we only have a window into ourselves from like our own perspective, but 
it's really good to see how other people see us. And so asking for that feedback from other people, like, what am I good at? And what what is it? What do you see are my gifts and my talents? And what makes your heart sing when you see me? And, you know, things like that. And then that's that's how we know we touch and inspire other people. And that can really help us on this path to figuring out how to integrate our gifts and our talents with the things that we love and the things that we're good at. Yeah. And, you know, you could discover like me that there's not a job title with that, but the more you kind of start to narrow it, the more you'll start to see what it is. And again, there might not be a job title, but to then start to skew your work towards this area, I'll tell you, I'm working with another coach at a school right now and she she and I really get along really well. And, and she is more of like a serious and, you know, she likes the order and she creates beautiful environments where that's not necessarily my strength. And um, to, to watch her just, you know, every meeting, bringing the bouquet of flowers and being sure we've got a lovely layout of food that brings me joy and levity when she does that. And she loves doing that. And so like pointing that out to her and telling her and, and again, there's not a, there's not a beauty and beauty and aesthetic uh, CEO position, but she can bring that within her work. We can appreciate that. And who knows she, let's see where she's going to go with that. Cause that is a gift to the world and to our community, our school community and to Montessori as well, if she really wants to, to blossom that. So that openness is the next step. Well, I also think that, you know, we talked about, you know, going through hard times earlier, but, you know, we had this pandemic that we were in and as terrible as it was, it also sort of opened the box or, or, or helped us think out of the box, so to speak. And, now I just see so many Montessori educators, you know, either they're maybe they're, you know, they're happy doing what they're doing, but they're doing some sort of a little side hustle or they're like, oh, I really want to integrate what I do during the day and the night like you're doing or just taking your, their Montessori, you know, expertise and putting it, channeling it elsewhere. But like, we do have what we call the cosmic task, or, you know, it's sort of like a personal mission or a cosmic mission where we need to figure out what, you know, what are we, what are we here for? And I think that we have many different tasks that we could be a part of in our lifetime. And we are always redefining our personal mission all along the way. And I love that yours has really connected to this idea of joy and levity because it's such an abstract concept in a way, but it's also something that like is very much, we need this in our lives every single day. And it's something that if people are not reminded of, they will forget. And so you're here to remind everybody to bring that humor to every situation. Yes. And, you know, it's, I've been collecting games and team building and like um, logic puzzles that kind of give surprise. I've been collecting that for decades, like a little notebook that I have. And now that I'm more in an official capacity of giving these ideas to others, I've, I've dusted off this notebook and I'm able to give it. And I think, again, that was, that was my clue to myself. I didn't know it, that that is something that's a passion of mine. And so I encourage everybody to yeah, where does your mind tend to float to? That's your clue. That's your clue. Start asking others. And and I, I'll say another piece of advice is 
don't ask permission in a sense. I think I, for a long time, was waiting for somebody to say, hey, Lisa, will you share some of your improv things that you're doing with our group? And um, I wasn't being asked. And so instead I was saying, hey, I want to do a team building and they got to see it. And I think sometimes since it's our unique contribution to the world, people can't imagine what your unique gift is until you show them. So really start to develop it, test drive it and ride it out there. And um, people will start to see, oh, and they'll start to get the, the idea as they see it in action. Because truly, it's only you can bring it. So it's unique. So if it doesn't exist in the world, people can imagine to what extent you can bring it. That reminds me of another aspect that you just um, touched upon is, you know, if you wait till everything is perfect, you're never going to start. And sometimes you just have to jump in and try something and do it. And Maria Montessori was a, a scientist and an observer, and she experimented over and over again and refined. And that's what we need to do is we're looking for, for different things and ideas and I, I'm imagining that when you go into groups and work with schools or, you know, whatever you're doing with, you know, groups of people in different areas, that you are bringing a sense of joy and levity to them that they didn't even realize that they were able to have. And that is going to make their whole experience and their days so much brighter. So what a cool thing that you're offering. Thank you. Yeah, I, I do hear that's the feedback I get that it's first the lead. So I do like um, professional development, I'll do like a three hour session. And the leader will be like, we, it's been so heavy, we just need to play together. So then I'm brought in and then, and then the the, the participants are like, oh, you know, we're going to do either team building or even worse. Oh, my gosh, we're going to do improv. It's going to be terrifying, <laughs> right? And I it's 100% of the time I get such positive feedback and people saying, oh my goodness, we have not laughed this hard since I don't know when. And so again, they can't imagine that this is going to be fun and relaxing and bringing you together. And yeah, people don't necessarily recognize it if it's missing and, and how good it feels when it happens. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing about joy and levity today and sharing about your own path to align your Montessori expertise with your other passions and interests and being a, a model and an inspiration for other people who want to do the same. And thank you to everybody who is listening in. And I look forward to you coming and joining us in another episode in the future. Thank you, Letty. Thanks for tuning in to Trillium Montessori Talks. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love the practical and actionable classroom management advice in the Montessori Principles to Practice webinar libraries. Head to trilliummontessori.org forward slash podcast for details and to learn about all the ways we can help you optimize your Montessori work. We'll be back soon with more Montessori inspiration. In the meantime, please help other Montessori guides find this podcast by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast listening platform. Thank you for being a part of the Trillium community.